Federal Drive is presented by GEHA, Government Employees Health Association, proudly providing health and dental benefits to federal employees and their families. Visit GEHA.com. NASA is taking a page from big-time TV streaming services as it revamps its multimedia offerings. This month, the agency relaunched its long-standing NASA TV service. It's now called NASA Plus. There's a new mobile app to go with it, too. Rebecca Sermons is executive producer for NASA TV, and she joins us now to talk more about it. Okay, Rebecca, a lot of uh, multimedia assets to talk about here today, but let's start with NASA Plus. Um, How should people think about it differently than the NASA TV that we've come to know and love over the last many years? Ah, well, NASA Plus is uh, NASA's new official ad-free on-demand streaming service, kind of like a a Netflix, but but NASA. And so it has, you know, some of... uh, the greatest stories ever told all in one place. Um, you know, one of our taglines is we're putting, um, you know, the universe at your fingertips. So it's premium content. It's an official home for live broadcasts and, you know, tons of NASA's infamous archival that goes over decades. So I'm really excited to have it all in one place so people can find it. And what was kind of the inspiration for the for the idea that that you needed to relaunch this in a, in essence? I mean, it could, because it's not just a rebranding of what you had been doing before. It's uh, yeah. I think it's more of a transition from linear content to more on demand. Yep. Is that about right? Yep. Yep. So uh, so when I got here, you know, I, I I come from the private sector. I'm a TV person, right? I was a television executive for almost 20 years out in LA, and I came out here and I was honored to take this task on. And I knew it was going to be a massive effort. The great news is I didn't have to do it by myself. We had tons of content already there. It was just a matter of going around and collecting, you know, all this amazing content that they had been making for years now. Um, also looking at some of the future missions and what we have coming up and also like current activities as well, looking at, okay, how can we make an amazing documentary? How can we tell this NASA story through, you know, resources that we already have? You know, this was, we didn't go out. I, I didn't have a budget. We didn't have a budget to do this. It was a matter of what can we do? What can we work with? You know, what we already have. And, uh, it's, you know, it's it's incredible. Um, the difference between, you know, linear TV and what we have now is that everything's on demand. You can watch it when you want to watch it. It's free. There's no subscription required. There's obviously no ads. And it's, you know, one of the things that I'm personally proud of is family friendly, right? Like there aren't that many places you can go to um, as far as a streaming service is concerned that's family friendly, 100%. So it's something that I'm really excited for the future generation to uh, see. And the, the new relaunched app is one way people can get access to NASA Plus. I must say the app, the UX is better than most commercial streaming services apps that I've oh, seen. Oh, thank you. Wow. It, it really is. I, I mean, talk, talk a bit about how you approach that and what you prioritized as you decided to, to uh, redo the app. Yes. And, and I will say it's a tremendous uh, uh, team effort. You know, I'm going to give a shout out Jason Townsend, who, you know, is kind of leading the overall team for the app development, you know, as well as the web modernization. You know, it was there, there were several things happening at once. I was brought on to do NASA Plus, so handling kind of all the overall layout and the content and kind of getting new stuff on there, treating it as it were like a, a network, right? And then, of course, we had our web modernization team. So it's been tested. They went through, you know, several, you know, changes over the years. But this is something that we can all be proud of. And, yeah, it's it's about, you know, kind of stepping into the times and really showing, you know, people that we, we know what's cool and we're going to do that. 
Um, talk about how, how you went about developing this with no budget. Was this pretty much all internal? Did you have some contract support? Yeah. How'd you go about it? Internal. I mean, it's a lot, you know, it's funny coming from the private sector, you know, I, I worked in documentaries, started, you, you literally, you learn how to do something with, with, with nothing. And the thing that we have at NASA is talent and we have creativity. I will say it's the most creative place I've ever worked already, hands down. Because you're, you know, you, you kind of have to NASA it, right? You, you have something you're like, okay, how can we do this? And so it's looking, okay, we have an amazing team here. So I can go to that team and say, here's what I need to do. Let's try and figure out how to get there. And I was able to do that. I mean, working across the enterprise at NASA, I mean, there's centers all over. It isn't just, you know, headquarters here. You know, I'm working with Goddard. I'm working with Johnson, Kennedy. You know, all the centers were part of this. And so that was kind of the most beautiful thing about this is really seeing the enterprise come together, you know, because we all wanted this to happen, you know. And uh, so it's something that we're, you know, really proud of as, a, as an agency. And you said earlier, this is mainly a new way to present a ton of content that you already had and make it more mm -hmm. accessible. I, I wonder, though, having these new channels and content delivery mechanisms, does it change the way NASA thinks about how it creates new content or create new yes. opportunities for you to, to make new stuff? Absolutely. So, I mean, already, you know, when I first started this job, I looked at it and I was like, okay, well, obviously we're going to need to figure out, you know, distribution and how we're all working to diff differently, you know, and, uh, and so that's that those methods are have already been established from day one. Now it's more of, okay, how do we create content differently, you know, as far as, you know, putting together outlines, creative, um, you know, and going through and looking at it from like a more premium uh, point of view. Um, because it's all about storytelling and it's how we tell a story and the great, the, you know, thing that I'm extremely grateful for every day is the fact that we have talented people here already, you know, and, and that they did this, you know, not me. I just know how to kind of pull the levers, you know. I know it's early days since the launch, but what kind of audience feedback have you gotten so far? Or are you able to see anything in analytics that shows that people yes. like this better? So that's something that I've been tracking daily and we've gotten some great feedback. Obviously there are little bugs here and there. That's just how it is. That's tech, you know, but as far as feedback, everybody loves it. You know, um, I, I will say as, as a parent, um, just hearing people say, oh my gosh, there's a place, there's kids content, there's NASA kids content. I'm like, yes, you know, schools are watching it. You know, I was talking to a pediatric doctor recently. They're like, oh yeah, I actually showed like kids at the hospital this. You know, it's incredible. You know, it's, it's, yeah, you, you couldn't, uh, it, the launch was, was, you know, seamless, you know, and, and now we're, we're looking at it as any, you know, uh, streaming platform does. Okay. What can we move around? What can we make more effective? How, you know, how, how do we look at this moving forward? And so that's something that we're constantly monitoring. Yeah. And then finally, that's my next question. What, what next? Do you have any immediate plans yeah. for, for what the roadmap is for improvements? Yes, yes. So, uh, you know, we have, obviously, we, we launched several new series. We have one more documentary on sonifications, which I'm really excited about from the content side of things. And as far as, you know, overall rollout, I'm going to be tracking, you know, analytics, really looking at what's working, what's not working. Because again, it's, I'm incredibly mindful of budget, right? Like we didn't go... <laughs> You know, it's it's we we're we're working with what we got here, and so looking at space, right? Like space, that's what costs money in streaming. So, 
looking at, okay, this, this series isn't doing so hot. Let's pull it off. You know, let's, let's make room for something new. Um, looking at live events. How is that all working? What are people watching and where and when, and you know, how do we put it on the site? So it's really fascinating. Some of the data that I've already been getting in, you know, and there's some surprises, right? Like I, I, I had no clue that, you know, it's, it's fascinating to me. So, and I'm, I'm just glad that people are enjoying it. Rebecca Sermons is executive producer for NASA TV, now NASA Plus. You can find this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Leadership today, especially within the federal workforce, is being tested more than ever before. As the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency's Chief People Officer, Elizabeth Comstetter sees a focus on people as absolutely crucial to her leadership style. Comstetter joined Shane Canfield, WEPA CEO, to reflect on her years of experience leading in the federal human capital space. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today I'm joined by Dr. Elizabeth Comstetter, Chief People Officer at the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. Elizabeth, welcome. Thank you, great to be here. In your current position at CISA, one of your responsibilities is ensuring a people-first culture. Explain what that is, and, and what's the role of leadership in creating and shaping that culture? Yes, at CISA, really paramount to our culture is a people-first driven aspect, so that we are really looking at how do we accomplish our mission through our people. And in order to do that, we really value our people. We want them to feel empowered and supported and uh, respected, and also that their managers care about them. So well-being is important. Psychological safety in the workplace is important so that all voices and ideas are heard. So I like to call it our North Star. Having a people-first culture really starts with the people in order to get our incredibly difficult mission accomplished. In terms of leadership, which is a great question, I think we all know that culture is really driven by leadership and the, the behaviors that we allow and we uh, you know, uh, reinforce in our leaders. So we really work at making sure that our leaders are bringing out the best in their people every day. So again, that they feel they can bring their voice, especially an opinion that might not go along with the majority of a group, so that we get that diverse perspective, we get those different ideas and experiences and that's really where we find that it's important that leaders are purposefully bringing out their talent on their teams to enable our mission. Yeah, excellent. We're, we're going through a, a culture project at our work. Oh, great. Yeah, it's, um, it's been six months in the making and it's going really well, but it is work. Yes. And it requires from the top down. So I'm, I'm also involved in that. I hear you. Great. Throughout your career, you've piloted many different talent management programs, including at NASA, the CIA, the FBI, just to name a few, and you have an amazing career. What have you learned or how have you might have changed along the way in creating and leading those programs? Yes, and I, I, I am so honored to have had a career in public service across multiple federal agencies, always in the realm of human resources and workforce performance. And I think because I study organizations and people in them, I've come to realize, particularly in the federal government, that many of our programs are really grounded in the industrial era thinking. 
that this is organizationally structured in a hierarchy with boxes and lines on charts, uh, with the center being around jobs and what do we need to get this job done in terms of skills and training. And what I found is that we're really not in the industrial era anymore where we would promote the smartest people who knew that work and they would then tell the people on their team how to do things and oversee that work. We're now in a digital era and the information era where work gets done collaboratively across geographic boundaries and certainly across org charts. So uh, we like to call it networks um, or hierarchies, And we really need to, again, unleash people so they can find those other people who are working on similar problems or have the right ideas. And so I really like to think of our work now in the talent programs being human-centered. It's more about the user and the experience than about the rules and regulations. So although we have to have rules and regulations, certainly in human resources, is that person experiencing what they need and getting what they need for their role at that time? So not so much on the job, but on the person. So for example, we're recruiting. What's the applicant experiencing? Because if they're not having a good experience with our organization from the time we're recruiting them, they're gonna go work for somebody else. Same thing with like first time supervisors. We know they need certain training, but telling them to sit in a class for one week and then hope a year from now they'll remember what they learned to apply, that's not really human-centered. The human-centered is what do they need when they need it and building modules or, or just-in-time training and bringing that to the people, to that user as they need it. So that's really, I think, the most important focus of talent programs today in this era to enable the workers to be the best they can be in their, in their roles. Excellent. New thinking. Um, this is always an interesting question. Has there been a time when as a leader that you've made a mistake? And what is that? And um, I think most important, what did you take away from that? What did you learn from that? Well, I kind of chuckle because I think as leaders, we have to learn to recognize our mistakes, admit our mistakes, and that they are opportunities to learn. And so uh, I've had to do my own self-reflection on, on making mistakes and when things don't turn out the way that I expected them to. Um, makes me think of a time when I was at the Transportation Security Administration and I was a supervisor. And I was really embroiled with my program. I was the technical leader of it. I understood it. I'd run it for years. And I was making a briefing for a decision that had to be made about this program that was very near and dear to me. And I presented the briefing uh, to one of the very senior people in the agency and I think there are about 20 people in the room. And I had gone through the briefing, answered all the questions, and that leader then said, okay, I'm gonna go around the room and get everybody's opinion, and then everybody gets to vote, which kind of set me aback because there were people in that room that didn't have any technical knowledge about my program. She even turned to the executive assistant there, taking notes on the meeting, and said, go ahead, and I wanna hear from you. And I realized, in hindsight, I had stopped listening. I had been in transmitting all of my knowledge and what I saw to be the right way, and I was not listening to different perspectives in the room because I didn't think that, I didn't value that they were bringing any kind of input to this particular decision. And it didn't go as I had hoped, and I left very disappointed and was busy blaming the senior leader and how that meeting was conducted, that she let all these people 
have opinions when they didn't know, in my mind, didn't know what they were talking about. And so um, in reflection on that, I realize, and now as I've moved into more senior leadership positions, I realize that was a mistake, that it actually is really important to listen, especially to people who have different perspectives or at a different point in the career, not just the people who know the program or the technical really well. And so that was a mistake I made, and I realized in my own sense I wasn't listening to very different opinions, and I probably should have because I would have learned more about what was needed for this program going forward than just leaving, getting, getting upset that it didn't go a certain way. So I've really practiced active listening. I've practiced making sure there's very different people on um, teams and certainly on committees or councils that we need early careers, people new to the agency, mm -hmm. people who haven't walked in the shoes of the technical workforce because they're asking questions we need to hear for these programs to be successful. Excellent. Your career in talent management means your work is very closely tied to people. And even your title, chief people officer, what does that mean to you to be a leader in the federal system with that focus? Isn't that a great title? I just love the title chief people officer and I think it's my dream job really to be focused on people and culture and the workforce strategy for the whole agency. And I'm just so excited to be at CISA at this point in time. We're only four years young as an agency, so we're really still creating who we're going to become as an agency and what is our culture and what kind of people and talent do we need to be sure we have to be successful. So it's very exciting for me to be in this role with an intentional focus on culture because it's one of those things, if you leave it to chance and you kind of hope it goes the way you want it to, it probably won't. So by building programs, including leadership development programs, including um, any kind of training and learning and career growth and um, engagement programs and listening programs, that's what's really key for, I think, for our agency and particularly me in this role. Um, I think in the federal government, we got used to doing annual survey, the Federal Employee Viewpoint Survey that OPM, Office of Personnel Management, runs every year. So we would do a survey and we'd read it and we'd say, oh, this is the opinion of our people. And then we would do action plans and then we'd roll out certain activities that we would hope would, in would increase engagement. In this era, you can't do once a year and understand what your employees' experiences are, what they need, what's working well, and what needs to improve. We need active, uh, ongoing listening programs. So one of the things we're doing at CISA is having more pulse surveys, having more focus groups and what we call sensing sessions, expecting our leaders to have office hours where anybody can come and just talk about what's going well, what do they need, how, how are things going? Um, because I, we feel like it is an ongoing need to hear from our people. And I think in this role, and over the years of serving, I've also realized there's never a one-size-fits-all. You know, we think certain people need certain things at certain times in their career. There's no one-size-fits-all. Neither can we also customize everything to every individual. So there's got to be a sweet spot in building really great talent programs, but also, like I said, thinking about can we do this in modules? Can we make it a menu? Can we do it just in time as people need it so they can practice the new skill or knowledge in their role? So I think we have such great opportunity, again, with the technology that enables us to really um, focus on how we connect people with their work and their team to get things done in, in very new ways. 
This is always an interesting question. Is there a figure either from your personal life, your past, somewhere in history generally, that inspired you, your leadership style, um, how you view leadership? There are many figures who have been very inspirational to me, but there is one that sticks out, and that's my mother, Paula Brownlee, who has been a very inspiring leader to me all my life. And I think because first and foremost, she had a strong family and a strong career. And that's something I always wanted. And I saw her first as my mother, but then I also saw her as a leader in her career and in academia, which was her chosen field. But I always knew her family came first. And as I saw how she balanced different family needs with also a, a growing and more and more prominent um, career positions in leadership, that she had to balance that. And I think I learned from her that you can have both. You have to, you have to focus on different things through your career um, and through your life, but that you don't have to trade one for the other. Um, I've been married, happily married, for 32 years, and I'm a mother of twins who are almost 24 years old. So, and I've had a great career in public service. So I think that having her as a role model has really helped me um, find my own courage, find my own confidence, and find my own voice in how I can prioritize the things that are most important to me so that I can actually balance both family and career. And you're doing it well. You're, Thank uh, you. Having known you now for seven or eight years, yeah. um, and work alongside you. Uh, your passion is infectious. Thank you. Your uh, intelligence and, and the thoughtfulness with which you approach uh, all of these issues. It's, uh, it's an honor for you to be here, and thank you for your time. Thank you very much. I'm Shane Canfield, CEO at WEPA, and until next time, have a great day. Find the full podcast and future episodes of Lessons in Leadership on the Federal News Network app and anywhere you enjoy your podcasts.